Welcome to episode 96 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome back to another episode. I am flying solo this evening uh, as we record this uh Kim is having a bit of a vacation with her family, and so I wish and hope that she's having a wonderful time getting some much-needed rest and relaxation, uh, because I know she's been working hard, and and this is a great time for her to have some time off. So with that, uh, just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, The ASHA call for papers is out, so I want you guys who are doing telepractice to submit something, submit a paper. And we need to see telepractice well represented at this year's convention, which will be a hybrid of virtual and in-person. And, of course, the in-person aspect of the convention will be in New Orleans. So looking forward to that and... So please, if you have some ideas for a great presentation, get those in by April 6th. This is the deadline, April 6th. So make sure you're doing that. Also, we have uh, upcoming uh, on the podcast our 100th episode. Uh, That'll be in about three weeks, and we'll be uh, making some announcements on that. I think we're going to have a live episode, a live panel of telepractitioners, uh, people that we've interviewed maybe on the podcast before uh, that have been popular, and we're going to bring those back. And uh, it should be a fun evening. So more information to come about our 100th episode. And so on tonight's podcast or today's podcast, whenever you're listening to this, we have Melissa Jakubowicz. If you don't know Melissa, and what she has done in terms of the field, then um, come out from under that rock. Uh, she's she's one of those people who's just been doing this for a long time, has been very supportive of telepractice, obviously. She has uh, been instrumental in getting the SIG-18 off the ground uh, for ASHA, as well as a number of other uh, projects and committees and things that she's done to really move telepractice service delivery forward. So it is wonderful to have her on this episode, and I know you'll enjoy hearing from Melissa. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, We at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. So, Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Melissa Jacobowitz, and I 
am a speech language pathologist and I own a company called Alive Now. And I think we'll get into a little bit more about what I'm doing. But prior to that, um, I worked for what is now one of the largest telepractice companies. I started with them when they were just a startup. And before that, I had a brick and mortar private practice um, for quite a while. And then had prior to that, had done some work in the schools. So that's that spans my career. I've been in pediatrics um, almost the whole time. I took about a six-month break to work with adults because I thought I was burnt out with kids, and I've been back with pediatrics ever since. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've kind of had those forays, too, and then come back to kids. Uh, so how did you get into speech-language pathology? That's uh, just not a really, I mean, as a speech-language pathologist, we all know it's not uh, automatically the first thing on the list uh, for most people. Right, exactly. Well, my mom was a teacher. Hmm. And at the time I was going into college, I thought I wanted to be a teacher too. And my hmm. mom discouraged me because there weren't a lot of job openings um, for teachers at the time. Um, it was a time when um, enrollments were dropping in schools, hmm. people weren't having as many babies. And so the, the teaching jobs were few and far between, and she encouraged me to look at some of the related services that we see in schools, and I had the opportunity to shadow an SLP at her school site and really fell in love with the profession. I thought, this is even better than teaching. I don't have to stay in front of the same 30 kids all day long, so... Right. I, I dove in um, headfirst, and um, I'm glad I'm in the profession. Never looked back, huh? Never looked back, no. Yeah, I was toying when I, my first career was in journalism. So I was toying with, you know, I wanted to work with kids with hearing loss. And everyone says, you don't want to be a teacher, you, want, you know. And obviously, we applaud all the great teachers that are out there who choose Absolutely. teaching. Absolutely. And and totally support them, but uh, I kind of got the same advice, and that's how I I ended up in in speech language pathology. Uh, so very similar. Uh, and so uh, during that career, uh, when did you first experience uh, telepractice service delivery? Well, it was towards the end of my. Um, brick and mortar private practice. I'd done it for about twenty years, and I was getting burnt out and I'd done everything that I wanted to do. Um, while I, I never really had a, you know, a five-year plan or a 10-year plan, there were things that I wanted to do and areas that I wanted to specialize in. So I, um, I was kind of looking for the next thing. And one of the things that I love about our profession is all of the colleagues that I've met along the way at ASHA conventions and state association conventions and networking through a whole variety of ways. And I wanted to do something different. I wanted a new challenge. And a friend of mine um, um, told me about this new telepractice company. The um, co-founders of that company had reached out to her because she was a mover and shaker in the public school arena. And they were looking to start this telepractice company to provide services to schools. 
And at the time, they were looking for someone to lead their clinical department. And long story short, she introduced me, I was hired, and I ended up being the VP of clinical services at that company. And it was a startup at the time. Yes. Did you uh, enjoy that sort of challenge of being in a in a startup, you know, the sort of the mythical, everyone's, you know, working hard to build this thing and, and see it take off? And it's obviously very successful now. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, um, I yeah, it was exciting. Um, I mm-hmm. live in the San Francisco Bay Area, so um, Silicon Valley is almost even more mythical here <laughs> because everybody's talking about it every day and what's mm-hmm. going on. And um, I don't live too far from. Um, where a lot of the venture capitalists um, work from. And so, you know, had a little bit of insight into that, but never really been in that kind of startup environment. And it's very different than starting up your own practice. Um, I, um, it, it, it was exciting. It was scary. Um, I had colleagues that were very um, not so nice to me when they found out I was in telepractice. What are you doing in telepractice? What is that? You can't provide services online. There's no way that you can do that. And, you know, you better watch it. You know, the ethics board is going to come after you, which is Looking back, it's kind of funny to me because as I began to do my research in teletherapy, even back in 2010, there was a lot of research already in terms of telepractice. And um, back in 2005, David Denton, who was the director of ethics at ASHA, had written an article Mm -hmm. in, um, I think it was seminars in speech and language about how to do it ethically. Um, and a lot of the things that we do today stem from the information that David had in that article. So it was, you know, it was scary. It was um, hard. Um, and I learned a lot about um, marketing and sales because as they began to hire their sales and marketing team, um, I was the one that trained them in what it was that we do as SLPs and to look at it online. And of course, I was working with the software engineers as they were building the platform. And so I, you know, I really learned a lot and it was exciting to have sort of your hand in a lot of different places. I can imagine being in an environment like that, how, how just, you know, that innovation that's happening uh, you know, this you know, sort of the, the cross-pollination of what you did, like you're saying, having to sort of guide the marketing and teach them what speech language pathology was all about. Um, that can be very exciting. I could see where that could be sort of a, a really cool thing to do. It was, and I certainly learned a lot, which kind of led me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if you're ready for me to dive into that piece. Yeah. So um, after working there for for about five years, I left for a whole lot of reasons I'm not going to go into at the moment. They're really not that relevant. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that um, made me realize that 
that first of all, um, SLPs needed a better platform. Um, back when I first started, um, we didn't even have Zoom. Um, mm-hmm. There was some video conferencing um, software out there, but it was very, very expensive. Um, the engineers at the company I worked at had previously worked with one of the video conferencing platforms and and he was building a proprietary one for the um, company and they you know added materials and worked with the assessment companies to try and get some of the assessments online mm-hmm. but one of the things i realized was there were a lot of things that SLPs needed to make their jobs easier. And the way that technology has evolved to to today, we can use a lot of that technology to make our jobs easier. And so that's a part of what I'm building. And then in the last few years, one of the, the things that I've seen with a lot of these teletherapy companies is unfortunately they're not paying the SLPs very well. And I hear it over and over again. And so I started um, offering some classes in um, how to contract with schools. It's not rocket science, but you do have to know the sales and the marketing piece behind it. Otherwise, you're going to be behind the eight ball when you're competing against these larger companies. And when I saw that these companies haven't raised their prices in 10, 12 years, Um, Mm -hmm. And some of them have actually decreased what they're paying SLPs. It, it, it lit a fire under me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought I've got to figure out a way to get these SLPs directly to the school so that they can make the direct, direct contact instead of making, you know, 30 to 50% of what the companies are paying the, what the school districts are paying the large telepractice companies, they can get hundred percent of it. And, um, and so I began putting things together and started training SLPs, but I also am in the process and and hopefully it'll be out in the next couple of months, a platform where SLPs can connect directly with school districts. Um, School districts, as I've talked to SPED directors, they're not always big fans of the contract companies. And it's not just the teletherapy companies, it's the contract companies in general. And, you know, they don't necessarily have the time or the energy to do a really wide search of SLPs that are out there and available. And more and more SLPs are really wanting to do it on their own. They want to be paid what they're worth. And again, there's a, there's a range in what people feel they're worth, but it's certainly not as low as some of these companies are paying. Um, right. And it depends on where you live. And it's one mm-hmm. of the things that I talk about in my classes is I'm here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. I couldn't live where I live making $40 an hour, but right. you might be able to live in Birmingham, Alabama, or Kansas City, Kansas, or another place. Mm-hmm. And that might be an okay rate. Um, but even contracting with the schools, you can still make a lot more than that, which may mean that you can make the same amount of money um, doing less therapy in a week. And I think it's one of the things that a lot of clinical SLPs struggle with is that work-life balance. And having your own practice is one way to get closer to that work-life balance. 
And so what you're talking about is sort of a, a centralized marketplace for school districts who are secret. So, so is it going to be this, they would advertise on the platform per se? Yeah. And, okay, good. Yeah. And um, we will, we're, we're going to work towards a way to, um, you know, bring in some AI, artificial intelligence to help maybe develop some way to match the districts mm -hmm. with SLPs. The, the districts will say, we need A, B, C, and D, and mm -hmm. the SLPs will have, I, I have A, B, C, and X, Y, Z available. Let, you know, right. see if we can, um, you know, figure out how to work together. So making it even easier than just having the districts advertise and the SLPs essentially advertise their services as well. So, Melissa. Yes. Um, so the the obvious question here uh, for me is, so people, SLPs, will be able to contract directly with the school district mm -hmm. without using a company to do so. Right. Right. No and middleman. No middleman <laughs> or woman. When, so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm I'm sure that um, there may be some pushback by some people in the field or companies in the field. Yeah, um, I am absolutely certain of that. Mm -hmm. But I also think that with some of the surveys that I've done, with some of the surveys that have come out of um, ASHA, mm -hmm. um, I think that SLPs are tired of being taken advantage of by these companies and are willing to go out on their own. Um, another piece of the platform will be supporting those SLPs that are a little bit scared about going on their own and worrying about not having a steady income, but helping them to set up their um, business or their independent contractor status in a way that makes sense for them and they can have that steady income if they plan right. Oh, one of the things that, that I have um, available is a um, rate calculator. Um, SLPs input all of their um, monthly costs. They can put in how many hours per week they want to ideally um, work in terms of direct services. Some districts only pay for direct services. Some will pay for some of the indirect services, but, you know, put in the hours that they want to work. Um, they're, they're paid work hours, I guess, is the way to say that. And then put in what their ideal um, take-home pay is, and the calculator will figure out what their rate needs to be in order to make their ideal um, annual income. Um, so we'll be doing things like that to help them establish their businesses, you know, making sure, setting out reminders when their quarterly taxes are due and things like right. that to, to help them um, feel a little bit more comfortable about going into business for themselves. Right. I really wish Kim was here because she has been working, continues to work for a company but she has also set up her own LLC and has started contracting just herself with 
a a private school that was looking for someone. Mm -hmm. And so it's her first step in that direction, you know, so this is going to be an awesome opportunity for her, I think, to use those services and the calculator. And I know she's going to be really thrilled when she hears all this. So that's going to launch in another couple of months or by summer, you think? Yes, I am keeping my fingers crossed. Um, I was just um, in a conversation with my developers. Um, they have to do some hiring because they've been slammed. They're, mm-hmm. um, they're a great company to work for, lots of folks using them. Um, and so the goal is the, the latest estimate I got, we should uh, be ready to go in, in May or June. Um, keeping my fingers crossed. Well, that's a that's that's wonderful, and and yeah. and best of luck with that. Thank you. Um, so I have this other little thing here, this book that yeah. you and Leslie did, and Leslie was on last week, and according to Leslie, she's done ninety percent of the work on this. <laughs> I'm just no, she'll kill me. No, just kidding, <laughs> Leslie. She she didn't say that. She yeah. didn't say that at all. Uh, so tell me about the book and uh, how this came about. Sure. So um, back, trying to remember, it was somewhere around November, December of last year, of 2021. I have to think what year it is. That, you know, yeah. it's like with everybody, the last <laughs> two years have been kind of crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Plural published. Plural Publishing approached me about um, writing the book. And, you know, we talked about it and I realized that it was a little bit too much for me to do alone. And I worked with Leslie. Um, I worked with her at the large telepractice company. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've kept in touch and she's done some work for me in my practice now on various things. And um, I, I knew that she was, um, an outstanding writer and, um, you know, it, it, she was the first person that I thought of to write the book with, and I invited her to do it with me. And so we start going through the process and you know what the process is, Todd, you, yes. you've done it. You've written a book <laughs> on telepractice yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're probably one of the first people to do it in our field. Um, so um, Leslie and I, you know, laid out the book. You've got to lay it out chapter by chapter and mm-hmm. what's going to be covered. And you have to have a really good vision of, of what the book is going to look like. And we determined it would take us about 18 months to write it. And of course, we're still in the midst of COVID. And the publishers right. came back to us and said, we want it in six months. Wow! And Leslie and I looked at each other and said, oh, my gosh, can we do this in six months? And it's like, um, we did almost. We were about three weeks late um, for their deadline, but we felt pretty good um, about that. And um, we we shared the writing. We co-wrote several chapters. We each wrote um, other chapters separately where we, you know, she has some expertise in, in cultural linguistic diversity, mm-hmm. my expertise mm-hmm. in running businesses. So we wrote those chapters separately, but many of the other chapters we did um, together. And um, Leslie was really good at at helping me stay on track. And um, she's done a lot more um, professional writing than I have in terms of um, 
submitting articles to journals and that sort of thing. So she really helped me out, gave me some really fun online tools that I still use now um, that are Mm -hmm. just great. I love Grammarly. It is Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite tools to use. And I feel better about my writing that goes out and even even just my emails because it'll make all those corrections um, in my emails that I forget when I'm (laughs) typing really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I um, really enjoyed working um, with Leslie. I think we worked really well together. And um, I think we're both glad that it's done now and, and out. Well, we, we need, as you know, more and more resources for yeah. uh, not only the, the, the practitioners that are out there, but also the graduate programs who are trying yeah. to train students yeah. and, and grad students. So. I'm planning on using it uh, at the University of Akron, so you'll have some sales there. Thank uh, you. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I want to use it with my students. Um, so was that your audience, the more of the beginning clinician or just anyone who needs additional resources and wants to read more about telepractice? Yeah, it was, it was really a, a broad audience. We definitely wanted to fill a gap that wasn't there for university students. Uh, But we also knew there's a lot of clinicians out there that wanted to go into teletherapy. Um, And there are a lot of clinicians in the last couple of years that were literally thrown into teletherapy with little to no training. And um, there were folks out there that were were struggling. There were people that didn't know the the legal ramifications. You know, the, the school district said, hey, you know, your kid went to another state. You can still see them without thinking about the licensure issues. And most clinicians these days, if they're working in the schools and have the school credential, they're also licensed in their state and they're violating many of the licensure laws if they're not getting um, uh, licensed in the state where their students went to. And even foreign countries, um, you know, I live in California where we have a lot of um, a lot of diversity in our state. There's folks, um, quite a few from Mexico, and oftentimes those folks go home over the summer or Mm -hmm. because mom and dad had to work, they sent the kids to go stay with the grandparents out of the country. And it wasn't just Mexico. It was just about anywhere in the world. And um, what I tell folks is you've got to know what the licensure regulations are in the countries where those students are because the laws in the U.S. don't um, cover those clients. And, and I think a lot of clinicians don't realize that licensure, uh, the licensure laws are, are to protect the consumers. They're not to protect us. They're to protect, to protect the consumers. And that's why multiple licensure. Um, and having been familiar with the licensure compact, it's been worked on for the last three or four years. We're getting really close to it. Um, opening up and taking registrations, but um, the number of people that weren't even aware that that was a thing was surprising to me. But then I have to take a step back and say, okay, I'm in the middle of teletherapy, just like you are. Um, Those folks know about it. The the people who are new to it just hadn't gotten to that point yet. Right. Right. And and we've mentioned the compact uh, on the show. So, um, 
we know that the commission was going to meet in what February last month. Was that right? Um, I think it, it, yeah, it was either late January, early February. And and then I also read uh, on ASHA that a couple of states were trying to backtrack a little bit or trying to undo what they did out of some, I don't know who what the reasons were, yeah. probably totally uh, unrelated to what, you know, we really do in terms of telepractice. Right, right. Um, so do you think by this summer we will have some, some way to register or what do you think? Yeah, my hope is that it'll it'll be ready by late summer. Um, at this point, they are, um, or they have been working on developing the registration process and the rules and regulations, and then getting the state licensing boards um, bought in. And they have to have some sort of electronic system that talks to the state's system so that you know, if you've got um, a violation against you, not only does your home state know, but every other state in that it's compact knows, mm-hmm. you know, knows that same thing or whether you're on probation or whether you've lost your license. So there, that whole system has to be figured out. But um, my understanding is that um, I, the summer is their goal, you know, whether they meet that goal you know, I don't know. And I haven't looked on the compact website recently to see if there's another meeting scheduled sometime in the near future to finish whatever work um, they've started. Sure, sure. Well, I may reach out to some of them and see if they can come on to the, onto the show, onto the podcast and, and yeah. give us an update. I know that our, here in Ohio, our, our uh, member of our licensure board and, or um, the executive director actually of our board, I think was involved with the compact. So I think he was participating in some of those meetings. So maybe he can talk about that. Yeah, that would, that would be great. And certainly there's, um, you know, folks at ASHA as well that have been deeply involved since the beginning. Um, Yeah. So I could reach out to them as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've covered just about everything I do. Do do you, would, would you like to mention E live now? Sure. Um, my my business is eLive now. It um, we do a, a number of things. Um, primarily, um, my my biggest project is of course building that um, SLP marketplace. Right. Uh, but I also um, consult with SLPs on setting up telepractice, how to contract with schools, those kinds of things. And I do a little bit of telepractice on the side. I've got um, three SLPs that work with me right now part-time that are fulfilling a couple of contracts um, that we have. And um, there, um, there are so many wonderful SLPs out there that have adapted really well to telepractice and they're amazing um, people and um, are always on the lookout for, you know, what's, what's, you know, what are some great materials out there that are being developed and certainly, you know, in the last year, especially there have been all kinds of um, materials and things to use online. And um, I'm always looking for new systems and um, on the lookout for apps. Um, but that's that's pretty much um, my business in a nutshell. 
Awesome. Great. Well, I think it's it's time. I don't know if you listened to um, Leslie's episode this past week, but we have what's called our moment of Zen. Okay. Okay. Uh, don't run scared. Um, <laughs> so uh, I want you to choose A, B, or C. Right, A. A. Okay. So this is based on the Proust questionnaire the French playwright. And so Proust would ask his uh, actors uh, all the same questions. And uh, if you uh, watched uh, Inside the Actor's Studio, I don't know if you ever saw that show, but James Lipton, uh-huh. and he would always ask at the end the same set of questions to the, you know, to the actors. So we kind of built off of that. Okay. Okay. So what's the most used app on your phone? Most used app wow um probably most recently it would be wordle very good that's great (laughs) Do, do you like it now that it's been purchased by the new york times um it's been you know it's been fine i i you know even though nothing has changed yet with, with Wordle and the app that I use is not related to that one, but for mm-hmm. whatever reason, it had the same name and it does the same thing, except you can play the game over and over and over again. Um, but um, I haven't noticed any changes, but I, I, I don't know. It was kind of cool that it was just this one person that built this for a friend and um, we'll see what happens in the future. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, what was the last TV show or movie that you streamed? Last TV show or movie. I haven't seen any movies recently, but um, the last TV show that I streamed that I'm waiting for the second season to start is Bridgerton. Ooh, yeah. My, yeah. my wife loved it. And yeah, yeah. I became a little concerned about my marriage after a while. She was really <laughs> in love with the, the main guy who's not going to be there right. this next season. Yeah. Um, what is a favorite book? And you can't say the one you just published. Okay. If I can't <laughs> say that one, um, what am I reading now? Um, I'm not good at, at titles. Um, I'm going to see if I can pull it up on my, my book app on my phone. Um, really quick. Uh, uh, I usually don't. Um, I can tell you what it's about. Um, It's, 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 it started when I read um, a book called Hamilton um, after I'd seen the, seen Lin-Manuel Miranda's um, production of Hamilton on stage in San Francisco um, and I read a book about Hamilton, and um, it was um, it was an ebook. And when I finished the book, it had some suggestions on other books. And I clicked on this one book, and I read it. And it is, and there's a series of books, and I'm now into the I think the third book. But it starts out with. Um, um, a woman um, who in the mid to late 1700s moves to the United States. Well, it wasn't the United States, but moves to the, our country. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, 
um, as a young child and talks about her story. But the interesting thing is the author weaves in um, historic figures along the way. And um, there was um, there were some um, related characters in to Hamilton. And so it's been it's been kind of interesting. They're just a fun, easy read. It's sort of my my summer read when I'm not quite as busy. And um, it's a way to sort of get away from um, reality for a few minutes. Sounds great. I love historical fiction. Yeah. And I love those kinds of things. But a, a little um, related fact is, you know, of course, Hamilton was killed in a duel with Aaron Burr. And, he, and then Burr uh, flees Washington and travels south. And he ends up at one point in South Carolina uh-huh. in my hometown. Ah. And on the sort of, we had a little hill on downtown. And on top of the hill was Burr's Rock. So this big rock <laughs> that apparently he stood on to defend himself to, to the crowds that gathered when they heard about what had happened. Uh, so... I grew up with Burr's Rock in my hometown. <laughs> so, um, and he was kind of the bad guy in all this. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always really interesting to hear those little facts, especially with you know, related to the history of our our country, and and uh, um, it's always fun to hear those little tidbits. Especially, I live on the West Coast, and it's not you know we're not as old as the East coast is and don't have quite the history. Although the history around here is, is pretty interesting. Um, And um, you know, you learn new things every day and I love that. Yeah. So it took me until I was probably, well, I probably learned about him when I was in elementary school, but kind of forgot all the details. Next question. If you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to do, what would it be? Be kind to other people. Very Um, nice. The golden rule, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I see missing Mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, And I think we need to be kind to each other and give people grace because we don't know what went on before we saw these people and, and well, um, people may direct anger to other people. It's oftentimes not, they're not angry at that person. It's something else that happens. So I think just being kind. I agree 100%. Next question. If you could have dinner with someone dead or alive, who would it be? Um, I'm going to say two people. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to have dinner with um, Barack and Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. Um, they are fascinating, interesting people. Um, they have an incredible, um, relationship and, um, oh, probably a few months ago, I finished reading, um, Michelle's book. Um, I know I need to get to the one that, um, the former president wrote, which I will at some point, um, when I get through the stack of books that's sitting over here. Um, I, I just think that they would be really interesting to um, to have a conversation with. Sure. Awesome. 
Uh, I think they're the, our number one person or people that, that most people say. Um, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary any way you want. Starting my own business, not once, but twice. <laughs> I, I can relate. Um, not an easy endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I did it, when I opened my brick and mortar practice, um, I didn't know anything. And I was thankful that my husband was a CPA because at least I got, you know, that piece kind of down pat um, and um, thought I was done with running my own business. But then going to work for somebody else made me realize I really want to be my own boss and jumping into it again. Um, But um, I'm thankful every day that that I can do it, although it is scary. Um, it's what gets me up in the morning. There you go. That's that's good. Um, where is the most exotic or the farthest place you've been? Um, farthest place has probably been. Um, and I don't know which one is farther. It was either um, the UK or Italy. Um, and I'm not sh- quite sure from the West Coast which one is is farther. Um, yeah, love both, especially oh. love Italy. Oh gosh, Italy was just amazing. Um, my we had gone there. My son had done a semester abroad in um, Rome, and we went there and picked mm-hmm. him up. And and although he had already traveled all over, um, I was very impressed that my son mm-hmm. was able to get us in a cab and talk to the um, cab driver in Italian and at least mm-hmm. um, tell him where we wanted to go. And right. um, it is, it's just an amazing place. Um, lots of interesting places to see. Um, I would love to be able to Go back and see more of it, Italy. I would love to go back and actually spend a few days on Capri. Um, we were only there for um, a day, and it's just it was so relaxing and so wonderful. It's like I want to go back. Right, right. I've I've spent some time in in uh, Lake Como in, in northern Italy. It's just yeah. breathtaking. It's it's really a nice place to go. So you run into George Clooney when you were there. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny funny thing is my. Um, I was there uh, several years ago for a conference, uh, and uh, while I was at the conference, I had taken my wife with me, too. So she spent the day, uh, or a couple of days, <laughs> walking the streets of Lake Como trying to find George Clooney <laughs> and uh, watching every little scooter, because I think he has a scooter or a motorcycle he rides by and jumping out in front of people and trying to see if it was George. Yeah. She never found him, but she, she had a fun time going through all the museums and the shopping (laughs) while she was looking for him. That's good. Um, If you didn't choose your current profession, what would you like to try? Um, I think I would like, would have liked to have tried um, HR. That's interesting. Very few people would say, I want to go to HR because it has that reputation of, you know, when you go, it's always something, you've done something wrong, you're going to be fired, yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah, I guess my experience has been different. <clears throat> I've seen some really good HR people mm-hmm. um, improve the the culture of a company. 
Um, and so, you know, I've seen the benefits. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I know there, there's definitely that negative side, but also there's some, there's some upsides too. You know, I see it as, you know, it's, it's really, if it's done well, it can be this, you know, the backbone of the company because it's about human potential and how you, it's not just punitive. It's also about how do we continue to nurture and grow this great group of people that we have. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I get that. Um, two more questions. Uh, next one is, what is a pet peeve that you have? Pet peeve is, um, I can go off on my soapbox on this one, but I'll try <laughs> and keep it short. It's people who post questions on Facebook that haven't done any research at all. They just want an easy way to get the answer. Right, right. I, yep, we do see that a lot, don't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so last question, uh, and this goes back to the original Prowse questionnaire. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you enter the pearly gates? Um, that, oh gosh. Um, Um, that I did a good job in, um, in, in communicating and, and being with my fellow man and um, was just in general, a good person. Awesome. Well, Melissa, we think you're a really great person (laughs) and, and we thank you for being with us on the podcast, how can people reach out to you and get in touch if, uh, if they need to or want to? Thank you. Um, they can go to my website, www.elive. Now it's E-L-I-V-E-N-O-W.com. Or they can reach me um, via email at um, Melissa at um, elivenow.com. Thank you again for coming. Thank you. Well, that was Melissa Jacobowitz. Really appreciate Melissa being with us. She has done so much for the field of speech-language pathology, but especially telepractice service delivery. So if you don't know Melissa and her work, get out there and Google her and look at what she's doing. She also has a great website. The eLive Now is what she's working on. Take a look at that and check out the new book that Melissa and Leslie Edwards Gaither did with Plural Publishing called Telepractice, a Clinical Guide for Speech-Language Pathologists. If you don't have your copy yet, go get it. Another quick reminder, the ASHA Call for Papers, the American Speech-Language Hearing Association Call for Papers is out. And it just so happens that yours truly uh, is co-chairing the telepractice uh, topic committee with my friend and colleague, Michelle Baver. And so if you don't mind, submit some papers. We're, we're chairing the telepractice topic committee, and we want to see some excellent presentations at this year's convention, which will actually be in New Orleans So we're looking forward to getting together in New Orleans for a great convention. We will have uh, aspects of the convention will be virtual, and then other aspects will be in person. So please 
submit your paper before the deadline, which is April 6th. 2022. So April 6th is the deadline. We need to get those uh, calls for papers in, those papers submitted, so that we can have a great representation of telepractice at the convention. And one last reminder, we're coming up on our 100th episode in a couple of weeks. And just stay tuned. We're going to have a special recording that week of the 100th episode of this podcast. Kim and I are very proud and very thankful for the support that you've continued to give us. And we are going to bring back some uh, very special guests uh, to be with us for a sort of roundtable discussion on telepractice. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks, and we'll give you more details soon. And with that, thank you for joining us. Uh, Come back again next week. We'll have another great episode. And until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. 